we see use cases of people using Clave as, as a CDP, essentially, which is a customer data platform, which has both the low latency case that I talked to about and the cases where it doesn't really matter. It's about querying massive amounts of data in ways that are a little unpredictable. So we're seeing more and more, especially larger customers that used to have a CDP and a different product, and they are seeing more and more that Clavio can provide the capability instead of just relying on a completely different tech stack. Hello, and welcome to PodRocket. Today, I'm here with Alan Chavez, who is the CTO of Clavio. How are you, Alan? I am doing well. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, really excited to have you. I mean, Clavio, another great company in our neck of the woods in the Boston area. Um, so we, you know, very familiar with your work. But um, what we could start with maybe for the folks out there who aren't familiar, um, can you tell us a bit about Clavio, um, the company, what the product does, um, and then we can go from there. Sure. Uh, so Clavio is a customer platform. Uh, what we did was uh, we took a customer database. Uh, the experiences that marketers use to communicate with their customers and the channels that they use to communicate and put it all in one platform. What is that we're enabling? We're enabling uh, companies to grow uh, their businesses uh, and doing that in from one stack in one place that has both the data and the experiences that they need to communicate with their customers. That's what makes it so powerful. Got it. So when I think about like a customer database, the first thing that comes to mind is like a CRM, you know, Salesforce or another Boston company like HubSpot. Um, so curious, like how does Clavio compare to the traditional CRMs that most companies are using to store data on who their customers are? Yeah. So so uh, we think of ourselves, that, that part of our stack, which we call the customer database, as something that can ingest really high volume of data at scale and then can offer that data up uh, at really low latency uh, to either our application or to an API. So I'm literally talking about we ingest billions of events. Uh, we process, pre-process that in a way that you can ask any questions you need about the profiles that you just store in our database. That powers our application, segmentation engine, the, the, uh, the flow engine, but it can also power other applications through our APIs. Got it. And so... Is that aspect of the product where you're ingesting all that data and providing the ability to query, like, is the right way to think about the alternative there of, is like a data warehouse, like a snowflake or, you know, something you, you roll your own kind of data warehouse on AWS. Like, is that more of the, the, the alternative that people would use instead of Clavio? Yeah, that is a great question because uh, we, we look at what we do in our customer database as a combination of OLTP and OLAP a data warehouse. So the difference with a data, a traditional data warehouse, now let me talk about what is similar first. Similar is the fact that we store a lot of data. We never throw in any data. So all the facts uh, and properties uh, or actions that uh, a profile takes, we store. Uh, but then the difference to a data warehouse is that we allow queries that have really low latency to ask uh, things like, hey, Give me the total orders that this one profile had in the last day, month, seven days, for example. Uh, and that's super fast, as opposed to a data warehouse that you need to be really writing customized queries to do all of that. So it's a combination of, of both. And 
why does low latency matter? Like, what are the use cases where people really care about how quickly a, a query like that would run? Right. So, so it, it, it allows you to, that's so, so many use cases. It, it, it allows you, I'll give you one. Um, uh, you have a flow automation, uh, which is the ability to design how you're going to respond to events. If a customer left an item in their shopping cart uh, for more than seven days, you would like to test that, find out if the customer is valuable according to your definition. Could be customers that uh, live in New York and then that uh, bought more than $1,000 the last month, whatever you define. Uh, And then that triggers uh, an action, either an SMS message or an email message. The computation of that query that I just described needs to be super fast. Why? Because some of the communication that you want to give your customer, sometimes you want to, that communication to be super fast after the action they, they took. Like the, the item that they left in the abandoned cart, you want them to get that in the next second, not in the last next day. So that's one example of, hey, I need to be able to answer the question, how uh, how, how, how much has a profile bought from us the last year really fast? It's one example. Honestly, what, what, what we're really curious about is uh, through the APIs that we just launched, what is the developers are going to do with this? Because uh, the imagination it, it's, is the only limit that you have on what you can do. Got it. And yeah, I definitely want to hear more about the APIs in a minute, but I'm curious... In terms of querying, like once I put all this data into the Clavio uh, data warehouse or you know whatever, database, whatever we call it, how do queries work? Like, is it a is it a custom query format or is there a um, is it like SQL queries or like how does querying of the data work? It's an API that has query capabilities, filtering, ordering, uh, etc. So everything that you have access to is through an API that. Will, will give you that functionality. Got it. And so is the API the primary way that folks use and interact with Clavio? Or you, you were mentioning before, like taking action on queries. Like, is that, my understanding is that's also part of the platform, like sending a text when something happens or taking actions. Is that is that also part of it? Yes. So part of the platform is the ability to uh, essentially program uh, an automated flow. As actions happen, you want something to happen, a text message to go out, or you could also say, hey, call a web service for me, call a, an endpoint for me, a web hook on your side. So it allows you to programmatically define, actually it's in a user experience way, you drag and drop the actions and say, if this happens and they, there's branching, if it is uh, yes, do this, if no, do that. And one of the actions could be call this REST endpoint in this other system, for example, or send an SMS or send an email. Got it. So essentially I can say like when that user has left an item in their shopping cart for seven days, then send a text message to the user with, hey, buy, you should go back and buy the item or or hit a webhook on my back end and then I can do whatever with that. You got it. Yes. And, and so, yeah, you mentioned that the API is kind of a, a growing area of interest. So could you explain a bit more, what are some of the capabilities with the API and um, what, is, what are kind of your goals with, with investing more in the, in the API platform moving forward? That's right. So um, 
if you just peek under the, the curtains there and look at uh, how we built the technology at Clavio, you're going to see a lot of uh, reusable things that actually have little to do with marketing for e-commerce, which is what we do. Those are, the database that we just described is one element. You could imagine uh, doing things that are completely unrelated to what the Clavio app does. The flows engine, we'll call it the flows, the automation engine that I just described, that's another one. Imagine that you through an API, you could programmatically create a flow that says, if this event happened, do this, if not, do that. Uh, so, and this is little what we're getting to with the, the APIs. The scope of the APIs is everything that you do and see at Clavio, you could be sending an email, creating a flow, etc. you have access through an API. What is that you th we think is gonna happen? We already see a lot of demand for that in terms of uh, customers that want to programmatically uh, access what we have. But again, the imagination is the only limit that you have. We expect uh, creators, developers, to use the functionality we have to create things that we have no idea today uh, where they may go, and that's okay. We built the technology behind the covers in Clavio that is reusable in a way that we know uh, people are going to take advantage of. It's interesting. So, you know, typically when I think about, um, you know, a tool like Clavio where there's a GUI and you can create flows and automations and, and um, you know, things like that, it's great for teams where it kind of unlocks the capabilities of programming for non-developers because people can do, you know, it's like Zapier or if this, then that, or any of those tools, super powerful. I'm curious, what's the use case for where an engineer would want to use an API to program those flows versus just if, if I'm already in code, I could just write the code? Well, uh, look what Zapier does, for example. Any use case that they can solve, we should be able to solve that way. In other words, you could use this as uh, an automation engine, a workflow automation engine at scale. What I mean by scale is, we do billions of those things. Therefore, we are prepared for whatever you can throw at it. So uh, just think now that the application they're developing needs some workflow capability. You got the engine to do that if you use our APIs. You don't need to use any of uh, the marketing stuff that is around it. You just create the automation. So it's very generic uh, use case in that sense. Got it. And you mentioned kind of you're, you're building this API platform and it will be up to developers, you know, with their imaginations and, and creativity to to figure out what what kind of use cases are possible. I'm curious how you think about, you know, doing what you can to plant the seed in developers' imaginations of like what is possible. Like, are you doing recipes or documentation or uh, or creating sample apps? Like, how are you thinking about kind of putting stuff out there for developers and then work off of? Fantastic question. Uh, so so we, we actually have a team that all they do is work on the developer experience. This is about documentation, sandboxes, et cetera. Uh, and then we have people in the marketing organization that are our developer advocates. And they are responsible for, well, advocating for the uh, APIs, putting uh, code samples uh, uh, together. Uh, so in a way that people can start to think what's possible. Because if all we did was, hey, those are the APIs, that's not enough. We need to, to start uh, to show people what is that we could do. Keep in mind that I'm, I'm talking about generic developers, but we also have uh, 
6,000 partners that already are connected with Klaviyo. They are helping customers to interact with our platform. And in many cases, when they have a custom integration, they're using the APIs. They also produce code samples of everything that they are trying to do that we can then leverage to give as examples to generic developers. But it's very much in our minds that we need to continue that way, stretch the platform. Uh, and one more example that I would give is, uh, and then there's some special things that we're doing internally, venture teams that we are, uh, want to use the APIs. Those is literally, hey, we're going to have a really small team inside Clavio that is actually developing an application, completely different from what Clavio does today, using the APIs. It's just one more forcing function or example of what can be done. Early days, we were so excited about that, that, that uh, path that we are taking. Hey, this is Emily, one of the producers for PodRocket. I'm so glad you're enjoying this episode. You probably hear this from lots of other podcasts, but we really do appreciate our listeners. Without you, there would be no podcasts. And because of that, it would really help if you could follow us on Apple Podcasts so we can continue to bring you conversations with great devs like Evan Yu and Rich Harris. In return, we'll send you some awesome PodRocket stickers. So check out the show notes on this episode and follow the link to claim your stickers as a small thanks for following us on Apple Podcasts. All right. Back to the show. So let's talk a bit more about what's going on under the hood. So we have this platform. It can ingest massive amounts of data. It can be queried really quickly. What does the stack look like? What database, what, what infrastructure are, have you used to build Clavio? That's right. Uh, so uh, under the covers, we have a ton of uh, different uh, open source technologies. On the database side, we have a bunch of MySQL. Uh, MySQL and Postgres, we have Cassandra, uh, and we have ClickHouse. So depending on your use case, which API you're actually you're hitting one of those things. So this is at the bottom, that's the, the database. Uh, the user experience is built in React and specifically in TypeScript uh, is the language that we use. Uh, the business logic for either the APIs or what the API is calling is mostly Python. I think we have one or two systems that are written in Java, but for the most part, our stack uh, is Python. And I guess the last part is that all of this is running in a public cloud. So we truly uh, use infrastructure as code. You build it, you run it. Each team has the ability to deploy. And not only that, they also have the responsibility to keep that up and running. Uh, in our case, we use AWS. And I'm curious on the back end, um, not surprised to hear ClickHouse is involved since it's honestly kind of a revolution in terms of anyone building applications that involve analytics. Um, but ClickHouse is fairly new and Clavio has been running at scale for many years. So were you using something else before ClickHouse or is ClickHouse just a new addition that has added new capabilities? Yeah, good question. Yeah, ClickHouse is a kind of recent addition last year. Uh, and it's solving for specific use cases that that uh, we wanted to have more of a, a OLAP capability, as opposed to the real time, the real uh, low latency uh, use cases that I talked about. For that, uh, today we use Cassandra, uh, and this is part of what we are trying to do: is just continue to evolve what we have and look at technologies. And you're right, the house came of 
in my mind, nowhere. And it's such a fantastic technology. And for folks that aren't familiar, um, what is OLAP? And could you just explain that concept a bit? Yes. Uh, uh, so I think the best way is a data warehouse uh, to explain is a data warehouse. This is about where usually uh, all the data in organization goes to. Uh, so you have your CRM data, your product data, uh, your sales data. They all go there. And then there's a team, usually a BI team, business intelligence, that is then building queries to answer questions about the business. Uh, I think the biggest characteristics, the characteristics there is one, it's a lot of data that we also do in our custom database, but the latency is not really that important. It, you're talking about queries as reporting essentially that if it runs in hours is okay. That's what differs from the OLTP side, online uh, processing side that it is really low latency. And so I guess maybe this, you kind of answered this question, but like, do people use Clavio for BI applications ever, or is it really more like you you have a you have a subset of your total kind of um, data warehouse data data in Clavio? You're using Clavio for things where you need a fast query to take action on, and then you have all your data in your data warehouse, and that's where you do your reporting. Yes, no. so we we see use cases of people using Clavio as, as a CDP essentially, which is a customer data platform which has both the, the low latency case that I, I talked to you about and the cases where it doesn't really matter. Uh, it, it, it's about uh, querying massive amounts of data in ways that are a little unpredictable. So we're seeing more and more, especially larger customers that used to have a CDP and a different product, and they are seeing more and more that Clavio can provide the capability uh, uh, instead of just relying on a completely different tech stack. And a CDP customer data platform, that would be something like Segment that they might have come up, used previously, and then they realize, oh, we can just keep, use Clavio as our source of truth for all customer data. That's exactly what we're seeing. It, 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 yes, uh, Segment is one of the CDPs out there, not a really good one. And we see more and more customers using what we have because they are already using the rest of the stack to do their marketing. And they are now finding that because of all the data is already in one place in Clavio, and we allow you to access that data in many ways, that they can use that instead of a separate CDP. They would have to move the data that we have into. So you skip that step and just use Clavio. And how do I get data into Clavio? Um, I imagine I can send it in with an API, but then are there also integrations or ways to pull data from other systems? Yes. Uh, so. Uh, if you go to clavio.com, you're going to find we have more than 50 integrations uh, with other softwares that uh, we use to uh, get the data in, which is really about the two things that I talked about uh, for the most part, which is facts about a profile, who you are, what the your shoe size, if that's important to you, and then the actions that that person took, which product that person visited, which order that person placed. And, and that's what we store uh, across the board. Those are two examples. We have super generic. You can store anything, essentially. And those are two exempt facts and actions. Yeah, that was going to be my next question is around how schema works. So you kind of gave an example that sounds like it would fit well with a e-commerce platform where I have people accessing my site, people take action, they view pages, they view items, they add them to their cart. Can you use Clavio with a schema that's for 
let's say, a B2B SaaS where you have users, but you also have organizations and people are in organizations. Like, is that a use case? And then is it even more generic beyond that? Yes. So, so the short answer is yes. And more and more, we're seeing that those use cases come up, which is making us more and more generic. But something I said uh, earlier uh, is, is important, which is we built that part of this stack not thinking about marketing or e-commerce. So it's built in a way that is generic. It's not a marketing database. Uh, so we see more and more opportunity to continue to expose that functionality to customers if it is not there. And we, we see customers using it that way today. So, um, you know, one of the things we talked about briefly before that I think would be super interesting for our audience is, um, you know, you mentioned that a recent project is that you're revamping your whole user experience and front end and putting in place a new design system. So could you kind of take us through start to finish, like at a company like Clavio, which has significant scale, um, what is that? project look like and how do you kind of think it through and um yeah kind of take us on that journey yeah yeah uh that's a great question because it has been a fun journey uh, to be uh, uh in um we're trying to solve two big business problems business problems one is uh making our pro product even more usable than it is today so it attracts people that don't necessarily need to be a market expert that's problem number one number two is uh we actually see a lot of traction outside the US. Uh, so we want to be able to localize and internationalize our uh, software. So uh, all of that, in, we, we need to revamp the user experience. Uh, so, and we wanted to revamp in a way that is, A, put a design system in place. Uh, so we have a design group uh, that uh, is the one responsible for actually designing the design system. But then what we did was we actually created, created a front-end platform team and what they do is they shepherd that technology transformation of going from what was server-side rendering to a React TypeScript uh, and how architecture that work, how the build system works, and how to help the teams onboard into this new stack. So this has been a separate team. Actually, it's more than one team. We have a team that is responsible for the component library, which is tied to design system. Another one is the web platform, which is concerned about uh, build system, how to onboard developers, how is that you structure your code in order to do this in a React uh, way. And are you still have in the middle of this process or have you launched the new front end and the, the new design system? Yeah, so no, we, we are not complete, uh, but we are not uh, waiting to be 100% complete before we deliver. So what we're doing is literally page by page delivering uh, new pages that then use the new stack with the new design system and uh, the new technology. Um, so it's a little by little. We believe that we're going to be done by the end of the year. And I'm curious, are there any, now that you've kind of gotten significantly into the middle of the project, any learnings or any things you would have done differently had you known before going in? I think one thing is uh, paying attention to that skill set, which is... Uh, it's very easy to say, hey, all our engineers are full stack, which is good to start with. But then you start to see specialization. So I wish I had paid more attention to that on the get-go, which is how do I get people trained or hire people that have more experience with React? Uh, so they are used to that paradigm of the code is running in the browser, it's calling uh, 
endpoints on the server and it's completely disconnected. And then the stack that involves React, TypeScript, etc. So that was a learning. Uh, I would have put some training in place uh, and see that as opposed to identifying the problem later and then having to do it. I want to step in a bit in a different direction for the last few minutes of our episode. Um, so you've, um, in your career, you've been CTO of a couple of different companies, senior engineering leader at a couple of different companies. Um, and you joined Clavio about three years ago, is that correct? Yeah, yeah, a little over, under three years, yes. And when you joined, how large was the product and engineering organization? Yeah, so we, uh, it was about 50, I think. Um, the, the, just the engineering organization. What I run is the engineering team. So I have, uh, yeah, uh, somebody else who runs product and somebody else who runs design. All of us reporting to the CEO of the company. Well, 50 people, still a good size engineering team. And I'm curious, when you join an engineering team that's already at some amount of scale, like what is your process for getting up to speed and learning the tools and the organization and, and you know building the relationships with the people? Like, how do you think about all that? Uh, engineering leaders, for me, they have to pay attention to and be really good about three things. Uh, one is people and org. This is about how you develop people, how you hire the right people, how you think about their work. Number two is, how is that you get better at the process of developing software and deliver customer value at scale? And then the third one is, I call it technology evolution, which is, how is that you are thinking about the technology that you own in a way that you're evolving them, not only to react to a use case that came up, but actually pushing the envelope to know to the boundaries what's possible. So uh, when I join a company, I'm trying to uh, uh, learn all three aspects of this. So uh, uh, countless one-on-ones, which uh, remain to this day. So I understand the people aspect. And I also have that report with the organization I understand. It's not only about my direct report, it's about the entire organization. How is it they are thinking about this? Um, that's number one. Uh, number two is uh, the process. As you grow, uh, we uh, double the engineer organization every year that I have been here, and I'm going to double it again uh, this year. Uh, how is that you grow by maintaining the culture of the company? It, which to me means autonomy to the teams uh, so they can be independent and develop what they need to develop without having to rely on many other teams. This is about API boundaries, it's about understanding the context and understanding the mission that they have and how that aligns with the company. Uh, so this is all about, hey, let me understand how the process works here and how is that we can continue to evolve the process in a way that matches those principles. And then the third aspect, really quick, is, is the technology side. There's no substitute that, there than deep dives. Uh, as soon as I joined, I, I on purpose did not ask uh, help in setting up the developing environment. Of course, I don't code uh, during the day. Uh, this is about me experience what the developers is experiencing in the day-to-day -day. Uh, and being close to that. Because the conversation is much easier to be had if you are that close to technology that developers are seeing day to day. And one of the things you mentioned that kind of I thought was interesting is this idea of making sure you're delivering customer value at scale. So could you elaborate on that a bit? Yes. So, so, so uh, what is that makes engineers tech? Uh, we could say it's the technology, which is true. We could also say it's the co-workers. It's true. You're learning from them. But it's also about the ability to impact customer lives 
and the more customers you impact, the better. So, so th this is about how is that we put something in place that allows developers to just iterate quickly. So this is about quality. How is that I guarantee quality? So developers are not worried about uh, breaking something in production. We have close to a million customers. If you are in that situation, any corner case will be exposed when you deliver code, unless you have a process that is guaranteeing the quality uh, uh, during the process. So it, it's this, what are the necessary safeguards and they need to be uh, low impact and low overhead that allows developers to do what they like best, which is let me see the impact that what I did is having on customer lives. And that is what we are uh, searching for and looking for at Clavio. Well, Alan, it's been super interesting learning about Clavio and really enjoyed our conversation. Um, for folks out there who found uh, what Alan was, was talking about interesting, are, well, you already said you're doubling the size of your engineering team, so it sounds like you're hiring. What's the best way for folks to um, learn more? If you uh, enjoy a culture where uh, collaboration is one of the number one things that we do, that learning is something that you want to do forever, you're going to be learning from really great peers and contributing to, and you're interested in interesting technical problems. This could be large volume processing of events. It could be completely revamping your user experience. It could be developing services at scale that are used by then many, many developers. It could be infrastructure. Uh, we have a place for you at Clay because we are uh, uh, in the midst of uh, really interesting projects as the company grows. Uh, the best place to find is we have our career website clavio.com, you should be able to find it. We have all kinds of roles uh, and uh, levels of seniority, and we're really looking for great people. Uh, so please uh, give, it, give it a try. Well, thanks again for joining us, Alan. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to PodRocket. You can find us at PodRocketPod on Twitter. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks.